0: i'm doing pretty good lucas how are you
1: doing good i mean we're, we've been in isolation hmm we've been in isolation
0: it's been a minute or two
1: Uh i'm getting a little tired of it
0: <laughs> yeah you know it is what it is
1: palister for listening to this thank you
0: i do i do blame palister for this I blame Pallister for this just because we could have saved Christmas at the very least if we had started this early, you know? If we're locked down in March uh, and April, you know, that's arguably a good thing because who wants to go outside during those times? But, you know, now it's the holiday season and you can't see anybody.
1: I don't blame Pallister. I blame the Jagoff news anchors who aren't giving suggestions okay we need news anchors to give suggestions on what to do
0: i agree i think a news anchor should uh inform um all almost all decisions on a government level foreign policy everything like that um (laughs) that that interview is so funny If, if for those who don't know we're just referring to the brian pallister rosemary barton interview where he asked her to come up well he's what well, he he says that she hasn't come up with any COVID solutions and she said that's not my job i'm not an elected official <laughs> and and you know what that's all i have to say about that is she's right
1: and he looks like he's gonna cry and he <laughs> how is It's the, the funniest shit ever.
0: It's, it's pretty funny um yeah we still have pretty high COVID cases I honestly have lost hope that um, the January eighth date that we've been given will actually be the end of lockdown. Um, So buckle in, folks. We might have to wait for this vaccine. Hopefully not, but I mean, I I got no optimism left.
1: I it I don't know where these cases are coming from, and but I mean, if you look outside, like at traffic, it's still like a regular traffic people are just like coming and going so i guess it's just coming from people still shopping and whatnot but But i don't know
0: big box stores are still open and everything yeah i mean i went to walmart the other day to pick up a prescription and there's a lot of people in there okay and
1: yeah walmart's no joke
0: and I was scared, okay? I was fearing for my life in the Walmart. and you know, that's not the first time that I feared for my life in Walmart. But of all times, now is not the time where I want to be feeling that. So it's it's I can see where the cases are coming from. Whatever. Yeah, I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll stay inside as long as I have to, even if he kills me.
1: I mean, we're not realistically probably summer is when we're probably getting widespread vaccines
0: yeah Mm -hmm. and uh, until then everybody buckle up watch your favorite movies you know now's a good time to uh indulge a little and uh what better time of year than uh christmas time right and that kind of brings us to the movie we're talking about today
1: talking about elf a christmas classic
0: I guess this is a part two in our three-part Christmas spectacular. Um, If Halloween was our horror month, this is our Christmas month, I suppose. Except for the week after next week, which will just be a different movie. Um, You know what I just thought about? What?
1: We shouldn't have done exclusively Christmas movies. Why not? There's probably like a cult Hanukkah movie.
0: Yeah, like Eight Crazy Nights by Adam Sandler, and there's no way in hell yeah. I'm watching that. No,
1: I want to watch that one.
0: You know what? What? Uh, there's no cult Kwanzaa movies. I'll tell you that. Uh, <laughs> Eight Crazy Nights is the only Hanukkah film I can think of. Uh, you know, I I I celebrate diversity, especially this time of year. Happy holidays and all that. But I, I there wasn't anything that came to mind particularly, so I'm not gonna give us too much flack.
1: Well, 8 Crazy Nights, you know, there's that no, scene No, Adam... it's over. What? It's over. <laughs> well, Adam Sandler voices that old guy in the movie, and he does a really high-pitched voice.
0: It's so fun. Dude, that Sandler moment when he does a funny voice, it's so convincing and funny. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's so good. It's so
1: authentic. <laughs> It's, it's so heartfelt. I,
0: it's just it's just a sight to behold. We'll uh do and, We'll do a Sandler month, one month, okay, buddy, just for you. Um, but we'll for do click. I I would do any of his. I would see. There he does have one cult movie, doesn't he? At the very least, maybe like Billy. probably
1: uncut gems counts or something.
0: It's too soon. That one's too soon, though. And also, I think that did really well. Okay, you know what? If we're going to... We should get the elephant out of the room right away. Uh, the justification for this being a cult movie is very slim. Because this made a lot of money. It has big stars. Everyone it loves no it. It really
1: does It has one big star.
0: It's got Will Ferrell. Uh, okay, Zoe Edition I think, was pretty new at the time. James Caan is a big star. Ed Asner is a big star. Okay, here's the thing. is that it has, John Favreau. i don't think john favreau it has will farrell and then it has like a few oldies like bob newhart ed asner and james conden those are all like big stars maybe not in 2003 when this came out but years prior yeah and then who else is in this that's basically it mary steenbergen she's pretty good she's not a big star though
1: peter dinklage i don't think he was big at the time but he's definitely big now
0: this this is a this is a breeding ground for a lot of big stars, yeah. Because F- even Favreau, I don't think, was big at the time of this. I could be wrong, no. but is this his di- directorial debut?
1: Ah, uh, let's take a look.
0: I'm gonna look into this. And he does make a cameo, of course, as um, Walter's doctor, who verifies. No, that... L
1: or Maid, was his first movie.
0: Or was this his second? Yeah. Okay, so this is yeah, this is a pretty uh, made. I never even heard of this movie.
1: I've never heard of Zathura, a space adventure. What you ha- you
0: have that's that ripoff of Jumanji that came out when we were kids. I'm sure you saw commercials for it or something.
1: Oh, you know what? Maybe I
0: did. There's like a the, there's a robot that was used in all of the marketing, the sort of '50s looking sci fi robot. Um, actually, that movie kind of sucks. Uh, actually, looking, you know what, John Favreau. If we're gonna just quickly talk about his uh, filmography here, okay, let's look at this. Elf, good movie.
1: Cowboys and Aliens.
0: Zathura, bad movie. Iron Man One, good movie. Iron Man Two, bad movie. Cowboys and <laughs> Aliens, bad movie. Um, Chef, go to movie. And then okay
1: movie. And
0: then Jungle Book and Lion King. Uh, I didn't see Lion King. I heard it was shit. I saw Jungle so Book. Bad. Well-received film, however, I do not like it one bit. It was extremely disappointing to me. Um, and my criticisms are basically all the criticisms of all these Disney live-action films, which is that they just really recreate the source material without any much added flair or uh, anything you know, to really justify its own existence. But he's, his, uh, his filmography is a mixed bag, but he's, he's pretty good. And I guess you could add uh, Mandalorian to that.
1: Yeah, he does that in part with like Dave, uh, Filoni.
0: Right, uh, but today we're talking about Elf, two thousand three comedy, Christmas comedy classic. Um, I would say it's probably one of the most popular Christmas films there is. Everyone's seen it. Everyone loves it. Let's get into it, Lucas. What do you think of this yeah. film? I'm sure we've both both of us have seen this many times. Honestly, I can't count how many times I've seen this film at this point. Like at least once every year that I've been alive, um, so quite a few. But tell me, what did you think of the film?
1: It's good. It's funny, and I think it's I think it's Will Ferrell, maybe at his best. I think he's really in his element here because it's like a kids sort of adult movie um, where his typical shtick of just being loud. Um, really works because it's, I mean, I guess it's a family movie. It's a family movie. So there are jokes here that the parents can laugh at, um, that the kids might not get. And then there's Will Ferrell just being loud. And it, and it works. Ne- um, maybe this or, like, the other guys. I can't think of another role where I'm like, oh, he was really good. Maybe Stranger Than Fiction, he was really good. In, but that's more of a serious role. Um... But it's good. There are some things that, like, the uh, the kid actor in this movie, his uh, discovered brother, he's so shit. <laughs> he's, he's pretty bad.
0: He's the one weak spot, I suppose, but I won't give him too much flag for it.
1: He's really, really bland. Um, <laughs> this is so small. This is barely a quad. But there's just a scene where they have a CGI troll And it moves in, like, three frames, and it looks so bad. I never noticed it as a kid, but now watching it, I'm like, holy moly, that is terrible. Uh, There's uh, some good stuff. Like, there's good forest perspective shots in the movie Mm -hmm. to compare the human buddy, the elf, to the regular elf elves. Um, And those all look pretty good. Um, I love all the, the North Pole stuff. Like, every set in the North Pole looks like a set. Uh, but it's done in such a charming way where I, I really don't care. Um, like, kind of kind of like the Princess... Well, I think maybe the Princess Bride, I said. I would have liked it a bit more. But either way, this one, it does it really well. Um, there's a romance plot, which um, is alright. Um... But I mean, really, what the movie is about is spreading Christmas cheer for all those around to hear, and it, it does it. It
0: does that. It does a pretty good job. I agree, and I'm glad you talked about the North Pole. And if we and for those who haven't seen the film, a quick run out of the plot is essentially. Um, a human baby who sneaks into Santa's sack uh, on one Christmas Eve is returned to the North Pole accidentally, and they decide to raise him there. So you have this human named Buddy who believes he's an elf, but one day, you know, Santa reveals the truth to him, or at least um, some coworkers reveal the truth to reveal the truth to him. Accidentally. He overhears it. He overhears it exactly, and he goes on a journey to find his real father in the Big Apple, New York City. I'm glad you talked about the set because the beginning of the film is great. It's a great juxtaposition later on when you see this uh, toy, very toyetic version of the North Pole in comparison mm-hmm. to, of course, New York. And, you know, it, there's a lot to be said um, about uh, movies where you have a guy who's uh, kind of an oddball or out of sorts going to New York. How many times have we seen an opening montage like that? this, must be crazy gods must be there's so many movies i can't even name all the movies borat does it uh you know midnight cowboy does it every stupid ass animated movie does that because they all fetishize new york too um (laughs) but this movie uh does that does this really well uh one of my favorite intros um comedy movie-wise, is just this opening sequence when Will Ferrell really has a chance to shine in terms of character acting and physical comedy when he's just traipsing around New York in his tights and silly hat, uh, <laughs> doing goofy things and, you know, acting all uncouth. It's great. The North Pole sets, as you mentioned, are really good, and I really enjoyed it, um, once again, because of the juxtaposition. Everything looks really cool. Like, all the insides of all the little elf shacks are, like, in this, I don't know, All it's all wooden with this white, varnish on it it looks so old yeah originally um interestingly enough john favreau um declined the script initially because apparently the original was much darker than it is than this iteration that we received um but he actually changed his mind when he found out that he could have a kind of intro that was sort of an homage to like the rankin and bass christmas specials all the stop motion stuff like uh rudolph and santa claus coming to town yeah and stuff like that and you do have a couple of those cool effects there with uh welfare, or, or buddy's animal friends Mr. Narwhal in particular is a pretty memorable little moment when he emerges from the depths um mm-hmm. that stuff is all good um it's funny actually and another small tidbit is that John Favreau really opposed the use of CGI in this film and there is some CGI in this film but he wanted to keep it as minimal as possible um, and of course, he clashed with execs in that regard. Uh, but the practical effects and the force perspective, as you mentioned, is all done really well, especially the force perspective stuff. It still holds up pretty well. You can't really tell, I mean, besides like a little cut here and there, uh, that things are done in that way and that Buddy isn't actually huge. Or I guess that the elves aren't actually very small.
1: Yeah, it all looks really good. I love that the the stop motion bits. I wish they were in the movie more, just because I really like them. Like there's a puffle and the little walrus and a uh, little polar bear. Mm. They're all cute. They'll move in just that classic awkward, missing a few frames way. Like they did in Rudolph. I love the Rudolph short too. Although like every year people complain about it and they're like um. They should have loved Rudolph, not because he was useful, but because blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, well, what do you want Rudolph to be? An anti-bullying PSA? No one's going to watch that. Anyways, um, yeah, like, the beginning when Will Ferrell first gets to the city is so funny. Like, he goes to the this little shitty diner that has world's best cup of coffee on it, and he's like, you did it! The world's best cup of coffee! Way to go! And just grabbing flyers from this dude over and over again. He's like, you know what? No, no more for you. It's
0: great. He uh, he picks gum off the subway and eats it. Um,
1: I did that as a kid.
0: Oh, Jesus. Really? That's how you get AIDS, <laughs> man. That's how you get HIV. Let me tell you.
1: You uh, know, at the restaurant, uh, like under the table, there would be gum.
0: Yeah. And they have that at school, too.
1: Yeah. I, I always thought, like, who's doing that?
0: Um, assholes.
1: Like, just swallow your gum. Anyways, um, at a restaurant, uh, I was like, oh, wait, what? There's fucking gum under here? Free gum? Oh, boy. And I picked some off and I was eating it. I was like, mm. <laughs>
0: Jesus, how old are you?
1: <laughs> Pretty young. And I want an age. Less than seven. <laughs> too old. Or less than eight. Too old. <laughs> Still too... Less than ten. Still too old and uh my mom's like what are you eating it's like nothing she's like what is that i was like gum she's like where did he get gum oh jeez. under the tail she was i think she almost puked
0: <laughs> i would <laughs> i would have puked too um that whole <laughs> montage is great though it's set to pennies from heaven by louis prima and it's just a great energetic intro sequence and it sets the tone for the film because the thing with this script and i think this is a really good script actually is that you kind of have this perspective of Christmas and the holidays, I guess from a more mundane adult point of view. And a big part of the comedy of the film is that Will Ferrell's character buddy comes in and he imbues a little bit of Christmas whimsy and wonder. Um, He's basically an overgrown child. Um, And, you know, you get, of course, easy comedy moments from that. But Will Ferrell really does an admirable job selling this. You know, I know people give him shit. You know, my sister hates all Will Ferrell movies, you know. I know a lot of people who despise Will Ferrell. And that's because of his particular brand of comedy that I guess is a little juvenile. And I can understand that. But he's done good work. Um, and I mean, shit, if you're expecting uh, if you're expecting intellectual comedy from an SNL alum, then you're looking in the wrong place, bub. That's all I'm going to tell you. <laughs> uh <laughs> um but this movie really does a good job of this and it really maintains that tone throughout like the i guess the 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 f- not quite the first act but the per- first portion of the film is set in the north pole but it's a very brief sequence and then from the rest of that we get buddy's adventure in new york reconciling with his dad and his family um his wife and his son michael who i guess is buddy's half brother and this co-worker, Jovi, he meets after he's accidentally mistaken as a uh, mall elf at Gimble's, which is this big toy department slash department store. Um, yeah. Sm- small tidbit, I love the manager at Gimble's. I don't know if he's given a name. Uh, one of my favorite characters in this film. He's so great. Um, the face he makes when Buddy starts yelling... Are uh, singing that song, and he just sort of backs away while nodding. That's seriously one of my favorite moments in this film. I fucking love that. I rewinded it a couple of times because he sells it so well. I'll say cast-wise, overall, this is a pretty well-done project. Uh, James Caan is good as Walter Hobbs. He just play, He just plays like a guy who's just... He, he, he's, very, um, he's very detached. He's very cold. You know, he's, he's a hard ass he's a hard ass he just works he's a wor- he's a classic workaholic you know uh, mm-hmm. and of course he's the sort of Scrooge in the story that buddy has to convert through the power of Christmas cheer and paternity <laughs> tests and etc. <laughs> um but james conn does a good job um i really really like ed asner as santa claus by the way um he's i love him he's my ideal santa claus i think first of all like visually he's great uh this we this sort of weary battered um liver spotted santa is is such a good look in comparison to this the you know the coke santa to the yes exactly the coke santa it's such a it's 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 much better it's much more realistic um <laughs> as if we needed the realism added to santa but it just it just flies really well with me um his delivery is great and speaking of which we get bob newhart as well who kind of delivers a sort of similar vibe as papa elf um buddy's adopted vet dad bob newhart he's basically known for just his like deadpan delivery and just like his stammering dialogue and he does that masterfully uh, he does a good job here as well um you, half of the humor is just seeing bob newhart and wearing tights and a silly hat uh but it's all well and good uh, zoe deschanel is pretty good actually has the romantic interest i think this is like one of her f- first first roles. she was very young in this like early 20s um I always thought it was kind of weird that Will Ferrell looks forty and she looks like she's like in her mid twenties, and they're in a romantic escapade. But I won't talk too much about that because that's just Hollywood, I guess. Um, who else is in this cast that's worth noting? Um, I guess you you're. Know what
1: I like about this cast?
0: What What do you like?
1: Everybody looks the part. You know what I mean.
0: I know. Yeah, you're right. Everybody, <laughs> everybody's. I think everybody's well cast, um, and I think everybody delivers their lines well and i know what you mean by everybody looks the part they do a good job of kind of just having like quote-unquote regular people i guess in these roles um yeah nobody looks supermodelish or anything like that everyone looks
1: zoe deschanel
0: there's always always, a zoe deschanel she's she's a very pretty woman but even though even then they do she she looks like a girl next door type and it's and it's all done pretty well um what was i gonna say
1: which makes me think, like, what happened between then and The Mandalorian, where he, they're getting fucking Will William Burr on the show.
0: What's wrong with Bill Burr,
1: dude? Time <laughs> Bill Burr's in a scene on The Mandalorian, immersion it's, broken. It's just it's, it's over. over. It's done. Oh, there's Bill Burr. I, there's Bill Burr. It's he's not in any makeup. He's not in any cost. Like any costume where it's like oh this is a different character it's just bill burr and like i wonder why it is where i can watch elf and like there's will ferrell and i'm like yeah he's buddy the elf but i see fucking bill burr on the show i'm like hey bill okay good joke buddy
0: you know the thing is though and people say that will ferrell he's one of those actors where he acts like will ferrell in every movie but in this role he distinguishes himself in this film because in a lot of other Will Ferrell films, he's, he's a dim-witted, loud character. Sometimes he has a bit of a mean streak and such. But there's a certain innocence that he just portrays very, very well in Buddy. He just actually comes off as a kid um, in a grown man's body. You know, He's got that big effect if they ever needed to do a new big movie. Um, I, although this came out pretty close to the release of Big, so they won't need to. Big 2, they can cast Will Ferrell <laughs> in Big 2. Um, it's he just sells it and you know he's great in the role the costume i love and it's pretty iconic i don't know exactly what it's based off i know the hat is the same hat that the elves wear in rudolph the red-nosed wa- uh reindeer yeah i just love the yellow tights as well that they're so tight and they're like somewhat feeling. you kind of get a peek of his package every once in a while
1: y- yeah you see what he's packing for sure <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's packing quite a bit, actually. Um, and I,
1: I was watching this and I was like, this has to be maybe intentional because his coat parts in a way where you can just see his goddamn bulge. Yeah,
0: uh, I love. And the scene where he takes his pants off in the kitchen. There's, Dude, they do that. That scene is another scene we've seen a million times where a lady comes in and she screams. But that one's pretty funny. That one's pretty funny. I like the idea that uh, Buddy's not wearing any underwear under his tights. And I put a lot of thought into that if you're wondering.
1: Uh, what do you think about all of the side plots?
0: Okay, what are the side plots in this film? Um, basically, Buddy's in so- a. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, so Buddy's in a quest. Uh, so he finds his dad, and of course, then the, the big challenge there is, uh, is cohabitation as Buddy moves in, and uh, Walter has to sort of gra- grapple with the fact that, A, his son is mentally insane, um, and that he has one that's like almost in his 40s, uh, and that he's got this deadline to fill. And this is the big subplot, I guess, and that motivates Walter throughout this film is that he puts out this book that's missing the last two pages. And I think it's a very inspired choice to have Walter B a publisher/ writer of kids novels or kids picture books. And the reason yeah. is because it's such it's basically the idea of like the commodification of imagination and whimsy. And that's a pretty clever choice uh, on the part of the, on the script writer there or the screenwriter. Um, this subplot is whatever, it's just a deadline. He gets Miles Finch in um, to help write the story later on after his publisher Greenway gives him until Christmas Eve to come up with an idea or you better believe it, he's going to get fired. Uh, And it's an okay subplot. It basically serves as a means at the end of this whole scenario in which Buddy runs away towards the end of the film, for Walter to be faced with the ultimatum, which is choose between work or choose between your family and the people who love you, and spoiler alert, this is a Christmas movie, so he makes the right decision. It's okay, it's formulaic, but in a film like this where you're sort of carried by the jokes and you're sort of more so following along with Buddy's narrative um, and his adventures through New York, it's it's something that works well for me, and it's not something that was particularly painful or anything that I was critical of on the rewatch.
1: Yeah, one one thing for me is, like, I think in its entirety, the movie is good, but if I, like, kind of really think about the side plots, I'm like, oh, these are kind of weak, a little, like... If I really think about it, this romance plot, would this lady have gone out with Buddy? No. No.
0: And you know what? (laughs) I I can excuse that here. And you know what? In most comedy films, there's usually some implausible romantic escapade with the unattractive male lead. Adam Sandler is the king of this, of course. Uh, John Favreau is, is, and (laughs) I think we've mentioned this on the show, you know, he's also a culprit. You know, these guys... Adam
1: Sandler is too.
0: These guys can resist casting sexy babes opposite to them so they can kiss them and feel them up or whatever i don't know if it's an ego boost or whatever um the romance was okay i like zoe deschanel's performance i like her character she does deadpan well as well the romance is not believable like not really um but they don't really develop jovi that much and you don't really understand her motivation that much for it to be like this is totally implausible Um, I excuse it because Buddy is such a weird character that realistically no normal woman would go out with him. Um, So it's okay that they just sort of come together based on uh, Buddy liking her and uh, being kind of nice to her when he's not like perving on her in the shower. But yeah. I
1: was going to say, can we talk about the shower situation?
0: The shower situation. Uh, You know what, Buddy? Here's the thing. Buddy has pure intentions. Okay, and another fun piece of trivia is that they were actually going to have a scene in this film where in the epilogue where they like have it off screen happening, but they have like Jovi and Buddy have sex. And okay. and Buddy would be like, ooh, this feels weird and like kind of good and tingly. Um, and they cut that <laughs> out for obvious we- reasons, I suppose. You kind of just figure it out when they have a kid at the end of the epilogue. Uh, but see, that's emblematic. Just the idea that Buddy is—he—he's um, just an innocent guy, you know. He's just pure good. He's all heart and he's all Christmas spirit. So, and the, and having Joey Zoe, uh, sorry Zoe Deschanel, who just doesn't really give a fuck. She's a wagee. That's all we really know yeah. about her. Is just she's a wagee who hates her job and she can barely afford water, so she showers at work. I would never shower at work. By the way, I was watching this movie and I was thinking, who the hell would shower at work? where your coworkers could walk in and see you. I wouldn't shower anywhere other than my home or like a campground shower if I needed to. Okay? I don't I wouldn't even shower at the YMCA. I did that when I was a kid. As an adult, I would not shower at the YMCA. You can take that to the bank.
1: I like as like even as a kid that always broke my immersion cuz I was like are there showers in malls?
0: I guess where are are? these
1: mall showers
0: I I'm yeah I'm gonna assume that like there probably are like some big department stores where they have like full like employee locker rooms with like a shower for whatever reason. Um the scene is stupid but you almost get to see uh, <laughs> Zoe Deschanel's boobies so it's worth it, right? It's pretty, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty awesome. Uh, but the rom- the romance is not spectacular. It's It is what it is, but it irked me a lot less than other comedy films because it feels organic. The date montage and scene that they have is very sweet and touching, and I always love to watch it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's really the difference between good directing and bad directing, I guess, is that you're given the script, and you have these characters, and are they necessarily compatible? Not really, but Jon Favreau sells it enough that it doesn't detract from my viewing experience when even though consciously I know this doesn't really make sense.
1: My favorite part, or one of my favorite parts of the movie, is when Buddy is just decorating gimbals or whatever. gibbles?
0: <coughs> gimbals,
1: yeah. Uh, he's just decking it out in full Christmas cheer. And he's making this huge Lego tower. And as a kid, I was like, damn. Like, I want to make that Lego tower. I want to make that light bright. I miss my light bright. I love that <laughs> thing.
0: Etch sketches uh, of Mona Lisa. It's classic. It's all good. And
1: then his boss comes in, and he's like, this must have been corporate. Someone's gotten in from my job. <laughs> and Zoe so I was like, who is who cares about your job man
0: <laughs> But you know what that's like that's a great example and that's just sort of like a moment emblematic of the film is just when you have Buddy come in and he's just pure intentions it's so optimistic and the characters around him don't really know how to react because i guess living in grimy new york city they're not used to any sort of altruism or generosity um, so that's another great moment and i really like that moment when he he gives everyone a radio and says code word is santa's got a brand new bag <laughs> Uh, and then oh sorry go ahead
1: we're you gonna
0: say good i was gonna talk about the mail room scene which is another scene that i liked uh, i
1: was just about to say that too yeah go for
0: it you were gonna you were talking about jokes that you didn't get as a kid i i caught on to this in my teenage viewings but i didn't get when i was a kid why this guy had syrup on him and why buddy poured <sighs> so much into his coffee. well i get why buddy poured so much but i didn't get why the guy was you know Looking at him like that, why they started acting goofy after. That's a hilarious scene. Any scene in a kid's movie where a character does alcohol or drugs, it's, it's just automatically funny. If you ever seen the movie The Good Dinosaur from Pixar, pretty bad Pixar film. Uh, in fact, it's one of my least favorites, I would say. But there's a scene where they eat round fruit and they like just have like a psychedelic adventure, uh, and it's just like stuff like that. It's just it's just easy comedy because I feel like half of the novelty there is this is something I'm not supposed to be seeing, but this is topped off with Buddy having an absolute banger dance scene. To whoop, there it is, uh, <laughs> and this dude's got moves, man. He's going on his hands and knees. He's doing that thing where you kick your legs and then you clap your hands. Uh, he's doing the little Russian little jig. It's it's awesome and it's great. And then he goes to and
1: the classic TF two dance. The,
0: he's doing he's doing TF two dances. The classic one that I, of course I know. Uh,
1: what what is it called? Uh, is it the uh, the Kazotsky kick?
0: That's probably yeah. That's probably what I'm. I, I just call it the Russian the Russian thing. Cause, Cause, whenever I was watching cartoons as a kid, and they have to portray Russians. They have them do that where they cross their arms and they kick their legs. Yeah. And they go, hey, 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 hey. Yeah, it's pretty good. That's one a-
1: part that I found funny is like they dr- they were drinking, but then they're like acting high. That yeah, like that was so funny.
0: I noticed that too. That was a weird thing. Um, not that I know what it's like to get high um but but from what i've seen in stoner films that's what acting high is like uh i don't know i don't know maybe they (laughs) maybe there was thc in in that drink too maybe that guy was streets ahead i don't know what to say (laughs) um the miles finch scene in this is also pretty iconic peter dinklage and i think an early role i guess at this point in his career he was just the little man Um, before people were like hey this guy can actually act and he's good and he's also still the little man but whatever that's just hollywood maybe maybe 15 years from now we'll see um that's a great scene (laughs) the when he says when he's just calling him elf Uh, And then he runs on the table and he just like WWE Batista bombs him through the fucking wall. It's great. I love Miles Finch's character in this as well. And in fact, they did the whole like children's publishing industry thing really great uh, because the way, by the way, the characters act, you don't expect it to be like them to be publishers of children's picture books but i guess that's part of the joke is that it, once again it's just a corporate corporate corporatization of the whole thing miles finch's character is great i i love when buddy busts in and he's like look buddy i get more action than you get in a year i got 70 inch plasma screens in three city in three homes across the nation um he does a pretty good job as like this that's just like a jerk squad. it's a nice little con it's a nice little cameo
1: and he's like wearing like a Gordon Gecko suit.
0: Yeah, he's exactly. He yeah, he d- is doing like his best Gordon Gecko impression here, uh, with pinstripes, and I don't know if he has suspenders or not on in this, but it looks pretty good. He does. Oh, it looks okay. Then there it is. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's all good stuff. Um, I want to talk about one major problem I guess I have with this film. Um, to me, the third act is relatively weak. And this is the problem of a lot of comedies, and a lot of films of this nature, is that you have two acts of good jokes and set up, and then you have to bring things to a head. And then in this movie, we have, after Buddy runs away, this plot where Santa crashes his sleigh, and then Buddy has to repair it in Central Park, and then they have to get people to sing to get Christmas cheer going because that also powers the sleigh. It didn't gel that well for me. Um, I remember as a kid, this was the part I also didn't like. It's short on jokes. Um, it's a, sort of supposed to be like an action, it's sort of it's supposed to be like an action scene where you have these Central Park Rangers come in. A uh, weird commentary on police brutality there in this film, but uh, that wow, was it, weird. It was it was weird, and out of place, uh, and they even name dropped this Simon and Garfunkel concert that happened supposedly in '85. I don't know if that's a historical event or if that's just something they made up. Uh, but it's kind of weird. I I don't know, and especially, and I can I guess you could say I'm being kind of harsh, given that it's a Christmas film. But it gets like a little too saccharine, touchy feely for me. Uh, Given that this film, a half of the theme is that it doesn't do that. You only have Buddy doing that, and all the characters sort of resist that. And I guess the point is, um, thematically, is that Buddy can inspire, you know, good and everybody. Uh, But it kind of falls flat for me. It's whatever. I like the epilogue of the film where they show that Jovi and Buddy are happily married and have a kid. And then Walter has created his own uh, publishing company with Buddy as an author. That's all well and good. But just this third act slash ending. Uh, it's whatever. Like, it's sort of the thing where if I was watching this on cable, I would probably, like, turn it off after this point and then just remember the rest of it in my head.
1: You know what was the weakest part of the sort of ending for me? What? Was that Walter, mm-hmm. Buddy's dad, he's now um, seemingly lost his job over Buddy. He's learned that Santa is real and buddy you know actually lived at the north pole Mm -hmm. and that the sleigh literally runs on christmas spirit Mm -hmm. and then they're all singing santa's coming to town to power the sleigh and then he doesn't sing it and i'm like okay you've already fully committed it. (laughs) it does not make sense that you're not singing the song and you know like that it's small but it still kind of bothered me that they had all this set up and then like for some reason just because for plot or for joke he uh, he doesn't sing along
0: you know you're totally right uh, at that point he's fully sold in he he reconciles with buddy he meets santa and then he just doesn't want to sing it's it's it's, it's like a, it is it is a bit at that point character wise like a bit strange the thing with that is that it's, I f- I think that's set up just to have the little gotcha moment where he just belts out in song, and then the sled yeah. just passes right over his head and launches into the air, and then everyone stares and wonders. So it's just sort of sort of—it just sort of set up for that one payoff moment. But yeah.
1: I also love that prison scene where it's full of ethnically diverse people.
0: Uh yeah, yeah you know um you know just like just like real life you know prison is uh, diverse and you know nothing wrong with uh, a couple of uh, you know various minorities in the New York holding holding cell. Look, Lucas, it's like
1: one white guy and it's and his buddy. buddy.
0: <laughs> um, look, I'm gonna be honest with you. If we go to a New York holding cell, that's probably gonna be pretty accurate demographics. Um is that um is that justified yes or no jury's out but that's what i'll say
1: you couldn't pay me to live in new york
0: um what if i paid you one million dollars a year
1: you can pay me a billion trillion billion dollars like sleepy joe said okay (laughs) it's such a large number you couldn't even say it to get me to live in New York.
0: What's the problem? It's the it's city of lights. It's um it's the city of love, I think. It's
1: it's Gotham City, I'll say that. It's
0: Gotham City, yeah, exactly.
1: i are going to have to fight street rats and NPCs to get home, <laughs> no thanks.
0: Go on the subway. Uh, some guy <laughs> will shoot you and three of your minority <laughs> friends. Serial killers abound. Yeah, maybe not the best place to live. Um, but uh, dude, it's got so much culture, though. <laughs> the city, the city's got so much history. It's you know you're you're a living part of it. You know, it's a city that never sleeps.
1: Also, I don't know if you noticed, John Favreau, when he makes his cameo appearance, it always looks like he's trying not to laugh.
0: <laughs> you're right. <laughs> I, that is a small boy. And I guess like in in terms of the plot. You can say it's because he tried not to laugh because his longtime client and very serious man brings this son in that he's never seen before dressed in an elf costume who appears to be <laughs> mentally challenged. <laughs> but but honestly, knowing that John Favreau is the director, yeah, it, it almost seems weird. <laughs> Arguably, it's like the worst performance of the whole movie, aside from Michael, when Favreau comes in and he just kind of just says a couple of lines here and there. Um He's better as it, it's in terms of his director cameos, uh, I prefer Happy Hogan and Iron Man. That's pretty he's pretty good in those ones, I'll say that. I like Happy.
1: You like Happy? I like Happy.
0: I like Happy. Um he has good chemistry with Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man.
1: Is he like a thing in
0: the comics? He is. He just um he's just his bodyguard. The thing is originally in the comics, Iron Man. Um, so the way we know, okay, in the comics originally, Iron Man is Tony Stark, of course, but he doesn't tell people he's Tony Stark. He tells people it's his bodyguard, and Happy is his bodyguard, but it's actually him piloting the suit, which is why in 2008...
1: Wait, sorry, say that again?
0: So, so Tony Stark is Iron Man in the comics, right? Yeah. But he tells people that Iron Man is his bodyguard, Happy. Why? Because this is when you have to have secret identities in your comics.
1: But was, like, Happy chill with
0: that? Yeah, Happy was chill with that. Okay. Because, well, that was just a job. Um, And then um, that's why in the 2008 film, when he says, when he has those lies prepared, like, it was actually my bodyguard. Because I'm pretty sure when they, before they prep for that press conference at the end, they say, just say it to your bodyguard or say it to me. Um, it's, that's why it's a big moment when he says I am Iron Man because at that time his identity wasn't a thing They but the MCU just decided oh, this is stupid as fuck so we're just gonna throw down <laughs> the trash, and it is stupid as fuck <laughs> you still there?
1: Yeah, sorry. I think I might have cut out there. Sorry about that. Okay,
0: it's all good. But um, Uh, yeah, the the third act is weak for me, but it doesn't sour the film, especially because the third act is brief. And I'll say this about this movie. It's an hour and a half, but it goes by super fast. Um, It's really well-paced. There isn't really a moment that slouches besides this last portion that I'm not a huge fan of. Uh, And it's a super solid Christmas adventure.
1: Last thing, one thing that kind of bothers me now as an adult, there is some... There's a couple product placements in this movie. Coke. Coke, uh, that maple syrup, that's... If it's not a product, it's weirdly always, like, you can see the label of it at all times. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's just some, I mean, easy ones, like Etch-A-Sketches or uh, Jack in the Box or... um, I mean, the whole toy store scene. I mean, there's uh, Ernie and Bert's, there's Lego late breaks i feel like all of those must. i i I feel like you can't just have toys in your like real toys in your movie without some sort of consent or product placement deal or something like that
0: i've i have not looked into this but i have tried to look into how that works in terms of um brand um display in in media like this because one thing that I always think of is like whenever people do sort of on the street skits or stuff like that where they have to blur the advertisement or blur logos. I don't, yeah, like in
1: Trailer Park Boys. Exactly.
0: I don't know how the legality of this kind of thing works. Now, for a big budget production like this, it's not a problem, I'm assuming. I don't know if they have to dole out money. I don't know if they are probably just approached by advertisers initially, and that just fills up their quota of things to have in the background, but yeah, you're right, they have like Coke, Mr. Potato Head, yeah. uh, they have like a Huff Skateboard, which I don't even know about, I'm assuming you know, that died, uh, that that brand died along with Skateboard Culture in the mid to late 2000s. Uh,
1: skateboard brands just fucking come and go. Yeah.
0: Yeah um so yeah you know what i i get it the the coke is the most obvious one when buddy takes like 30 seconds to down a whole bottle of coke uh that shit is gross though that will not make me want to drink coke because god can you imagine that that would hurt
1: i can like drink coke for maybe two seconds straight and i'm like okay my throat needs a bit of a breather. (laughs) yeah
0: like even if it was like flat warm lukewarm coke (laughs) dude that would hurt your teeth man that's so much sugar just guzzling you know when you
1: have so much sugar and like like i don't know if you get this but i do it feels like i can feel my teeth are rotting
0: that's what happens after my third bowl of cinnamon toast crunch (laughs) consistently i also get like i don't know if this is placebo i don't know if i'm imagining this but i feel i've had this since i was a kid i feel i can swear to god i can feel my heart I can feel it beating. I don't know how it, how it works. I don't know if I'm making it up, but um, it's not good for you. I'll say no. that. Uh, you want to go to Arenas? Yeah, let's go to Bag's. Um, this is a pretty simple film. It's pretty straightforward. But as Christmas films go, I would rank it high up there just because it's so enjoyable. It's honestly, to me, seems like a film that will be pretty timeless. I don't really see anything 17 years on that would kind of date this film in a way that wouldn't have it be enjoyable in the present day. Um, but I like it quite a bit. Um, do you want me to go first or you go first?
1: You go ahead.
0: I'm going to give this four bags out of fives. Solid, good, arguably great Christmas film. A few things here and there, but it's definitely something that I watch every year and we will probably continue to do so.
1: Yeah, I'll probably give this sucker a nine
0: very nice very nice and uh there you have it ladies and gentlemen this is a certified cop classic um as per our rigorous uh review process um this will be added to the (laughs) hall of fame and uh yeah you know what let's do post bags do you want to talk about other christmas films or do you want to save that for black christmas
1: Black Christmas. We'll save
0: for Black Christmas, okay?
1: There's a could- but I do have some things I want to talk about. Yeah, sure, let's go. Okay, have you been keeping up with The Mandalorian?
0: Um, no, <laughs> I see. Here's the thing: I saw up to I think I saw up to season or episode three, pardon. The Mandalorian, and I think it's a good show. It's a well-made show for all intents and purposes. I should like it. It's a space western. Um, it's pretty faithful. It's low key there's just something about it that doesn't really grab me in a way that i have to watch an episode every week like i i didn't even finish that first season until this new season came out because i was just not particularly interested but it's an enjoyable show for sure um but i something interesting happening
1: i mean they're plotting it like an anime so something interesting is happening every episode in the you know, stays on a cliffhanger or ends on a cliffhanger, but it, its kind of—it's pissing me off. A <laughs> What's going on? Bit. What's going on? I won't spoil anything because you haven't seen it, but you can spoil it. You, is just-
0: you can spoil it because I'm sure our listeners of the show are up to date with it, and I'll probably catch up what the end of the season. So if you want to give little spoilers, it's fine.
1: I'll just wait, but like, it's there's another gratuitous scene. Where he takes off his helmet. Mm. And I'm like, can we fucking stop this? I really... Like, I... It, 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 it actually, it's pissing me off. <laughs> like, I was watching it with Caitlyn. I'm like, oh, I love all those scenes in... In Star Trek The Next Generation. Where they make Geordi take off his visor all the time. Or, I love in South Park how they had to make Kenny take off his hood all the time. Like, it's, it's so annoying. And, like... It only happened the one time, but it happened for, like, almost the entirety of the episode. Or maybe, like, what felt like the entirety? Maybe it was, like, half or two-thirds of the episode. But, sorry. But you, it really is pissing me off.
0: The thing is, when you have a show, when you have a character like Mando, where he emphasizes not taking off his helmet so much, people are going to be dying to see him without his helmet. And taking having him take off his helmet is going to be easy emotional points slash a way to show gravity of the situation. Cause the Mandalorian is taking his helmet off or his helmet is going to take it off. Shit is going down. You know, he's not taking it off for a stroll around the block. So I get it. I, I, I do kind of agree though. I almost wish that I, we didn't see his face. I mean, I know who Pedro Pascal looks like, okay? I've seen him in movies. <laughs> um, but it adds to the mystique of the character a little bit. And then, you know, the other thing is that the mystique of the character is inevitably going to get lost as you put out more and more episodes. And I'm sure, especially given the announcement that we had uh, this last week where Disney said we're going to have fucking oh. 400 shows, two Mandalorian live-action spinoffs alone with Ahsoka... And um, I forgot Gina Karana's character's name, but she's going to be a ranger of the New Republic or whatever. Um, Yeah, you know what? It's it's a given.
1: I wanted to talk about that, too. That pissed me off. Like, they're like, oh, we're making an Ahsoka and an Obi-Wan show, and I'm like, there was... There already was an Ahsoka and an Obi-Wan show. It was called The Clone Wars, but and it lasted seven goddamn seasons.
0: Lucas, I can't watch cartoons. You know this. I'm an adult man. I can't be caught dead.
1: Do I have to know what Obi-Wan was doing from episode three and four on Tatooine, where <laughs> he just... Jerking off and saving Luke whenever he could. I really don't care.
0: Well, what they'll definitely do is they'll have him have some. I mean, he, it's not going to be him on tattooing. It's going to be like him going to a million planets, fighting Darth Vader like a second time, even though that won't really make sense because we know Hayden Christensen's yeah. going to be in it. um Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about it too much. Just enjoy. Don't worry it. about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's going to be cool. I promise.
1: The big thing that's. The Bad Batch show might be cool, but other than that, I really don't care about all that other crap they announced. Yeah, here... Like a Lando show? Can you fuck off?
0: <laughs> a Lando show is, is hilarious. They're doing a Cassian Andor show? Like, anybody was attached to this character from, like, arguably the most forgettable Star Wars movie ever, besides that one scene that you just watch on YouTube whenever you want to watch that instead of watching the whole movie? It's. Wait, well, who? Um, remember the guy? Remember the guy in uh, Rogue One, like the, the Diego, the Spanish guy. He kind of has a thing with Jin. Oh. They're making a show of him. And you know what? This is the th- wait. What? Yeah, you didn't. It- oh my god! And this is the weird thing that I don't understand from a business perspective. Now, Disney initially had a huge slate of films, Star Wars wise, and then those films were taken off the slate because of the. Um, poor reception of films that they were currently making now this looks like they're doing the exact same thing except instead of doing a bunch of movies they're just doing a bunch of TV shows uh, which is okay like you know I don't mind Star Wars TV but it looks like they're just abandoning film completely for whatever reason which might arguably be a smart choice they're doing one movie um, that's been announced uh, a Rogue Squadron film which could be cool it's going to be directed by Patty Jenkins, who directed Wonder Woman. I don't know if that's a good sign or not, because I have yet to see that. But we'll see. I don't know. It's just, like, why are you getting ahead of yourself? Like, after two of these shows bomb, and inevitably they will, because A, they're making shows about people nobody gives a fuck about, and B, because they're putting out so many shows that they're diluting the market to the point where people will log on to Disney+, Plus, see eight Star Wars shows happening every week and then just watch recess instead yeah so it's it's really confusing for me i did i don't really understand that i li- i like to see how this plays out i will not watch almost certainly all of these shows um but uh, hey i guess if you're a star wars fan and you want a lot of new content then this is uh, right up your alley except if you're lucas
1: <laughs> and i'm watching clone wars now and man, season one sucked <laughs> of Clone Wars. Yeah, it's so bad. Like the first few episodes where they're just like dicking around are so embarrassing. The animation um, sucked. It, it's aged poorly. The it... later seasons look amazing. I I, I don't mind really that like the style they went for, like making things, wanting to make things look like a painting. I think it it really pans later on because the animation gets better um but like the designs for the jedi with their stupid little battle armor whatever looks so bad mm-hmm. um and just uh, the episodes are just crap i'm just so excited to be done with season one
0: yeah some of the f- i i watched a few episodes uh, not that long i guess with you um mm-hmm. not that like earlier this year and like the show was enjoyable enough, but the yeah, it, no, most notably the facial animations have aged poorly. I think that needs, I think it needs a little bit of a remaster. But that show came out like what, fifteen years ago, two
1: thousand seven, something
0: like that. So it's yeah, it's pretty old. It's getting up there. I would really like, and I'm not sure if there was. I did see there was an R two D two C three PO show announced, but I would like to see at least there already was one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, <laughs> we need another though. Um, I would like to see a commitment to 2D animation. I know they're doing an anime, but like I, a Western anime, like just I'll pass. Um, why would I watch that? Uh, I would like to just see like a nice traditional 2D animated thing in the vein of 2D Clone Wars. Honestly, I think 2D Clone Wars is maybe outside of the Star Wars original trilogy. Maybe my favorite piece of Star Wars media
1: animation is so good.
0: And the animation looks good and you know that's it's it's very like Tartakovsky style if you've ever seen Samurai Jack or his other cartoons Symbionic Titan etc etc but it just looks good. And it fits Star Wars cuz it's just stylized man just give a little flair to something. That's also yeah. a small problem I have with Mandalorian is that it it's
1: so bland. It's, it's
0: it's color-wise it's super flat. I can every time I think of the show I think of gray and yep. you know if you're doing a space western like you know go in on it man like go hard like really make it like feel like a wild that, west show set in space
1: that's my thing is it it's like babies first western
0: yeah it's like it's western and like it it doesn't it doesn't have the style or feel of the western it's like thematically similar and character wise and etc but like visually it's just another disney star wars project and that's like the thing that i guess is another thing that bothers me star wars is such a l- franchise full of life and then the original trilogy they'll so they'll showcase so nicely and you know the prequel trilogies i i some people might disagree but i think those ones are a little bit flatter too Uh, cinematography Mm -hmm. wise and stuff like that but just give it a little bit of style man that's what i like to see star wars for is this a little bit of i don't know it's just some interesting visuals and and art and and sets and i don't know it needs needs to have more color i know disney likes to really homogenize everything so it can all fit nicely into a nicely packaged cinematic universe to sell to whoever wants to burn 200 hours watching all the content but i don't know man give 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 the creators a little bit of free reign just step off because disney interfering and meddling too much and making movies by committee is what ruined the sequel trilogy that's what i think
1: then you get ralph mccory back
0: R.I.P. R.I.P. Ralph. You know we need we need but we need a next Ralph MacQuarie. Where's the George Lucas in this new Star Wars? You know, like just one man with a vision. There isn't really. He
1: went to Disney and he he had scripts and he was for seven, eight, and nine, and he's like, these are my ideas, and they're like, thanks, but we want to make a movie for the fans. They uh, no,
0: they they said that, but what they meant is we want to make as much money as possible, and yeah. and I I, I don't remember, I don't know if I said he's on the show or not, but I'm not surprised they de- denied Lucas' ideas because a they would have to give him credit and royalties, and then he'd be part of the process, which is like probably exactly what they didn't want. Um, but I mean, like, quite frankly, I would like to see. I would rather have seen George Lucas do seven, eight, nine, than uh, what we got. Even if but
1: it... the thing what was so funny is that like when he made one two and three he was like, I'm done and like in interviews they'd ask him is there gonna be a seven and he's like, nope, that's the end
0: and and he had these ideas ready for seven eight nine
1: well then once they were talking about it then he's like, okay well, here are my ideas, and they're like, no.
0: George Lucas is just like a guy, is just like a fighter who who retires after a match, and then it's like, actually, wait, let me come back for another title bout, except this time... The... And then
1: Mike Tyson knocks you the fuck out. Yeah,
0: <laughs> except this time, Disney dealt him a left hook that he couldn't recover from by handing him billions of dollars in cash, and he couldn't walk away. There it is.
1: And we'll probably never see those scripts unless one day they're mysteriously leaked on 4chan or something.
0: You know, just wait till George Lucas dies and then, like, somebody gets his estate, or his kids are just like, oh, let me just dump this on the internet or something. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah.
1: Same with, like, all of the cuts of Star Wars that he owns, the holiday special, all of it.
0: I oh, Man, Disney... How was Disney not put out... And, you know, originally the reason they couldn't do theatrical cuts is because, this is what I thought, I could be wrong, but I thought they couldn't do the theatrical cuts because Fox still had some of the rights, but they own Fox now.
1: I promise you there is a clause in the agreement which says that he owns those cuts. I promise you.
0: But but we can't confirm this.
1: It's like, like, why wouldn't they release it?
0: Um... I mean they're still meddling with those movies so I guess that's reason number one. Um, maybe they're saving it in a vault for just some free goodwill whenever they make an absolutely atrocious mistake, although you'd think this would be it. Yeah, but whatever man. you know what I, it feels better to give money to Harmy and his despecialized edition than just yep. give Disney bucks anyway. So just you know if you want those you watch the theatrical cut, just go watch just go buy those and the packaging is nice and the features are nice and it looks good.
1: Are you, do you think you're gonna pick one up?
0: I will. I've been meaning to. I would kind of like if he had them separate, so I could just pick up a New Hope because um, yeah. that one's my fave fave. But I'll probably pick them up at some point because uh, that's probably. I think that's the best way to watch the movies. But the... if
1: it, like if Disney came out with the theatrical cuts, I would just keep. I would just keep mine. I wouldn't buy theirs.
0: Yeah, yeah, but
1: because mine has like red letter media commentary on it every. Deleted scene. You could find everything.
0: Yeah, it's uh, we, I don't know. Disney has done a pretty poor job of handling Star Wars. I think fans will agree with that too. Um, but this new development that they had with all their new stuff, it just—it's like another. Sh- it's like you're doing the same mistake that you did five years ago. Why are you doing that?
1: All right. I think uh I think that's it for the show
0: that's it for today so next week we're going to be looking at black christmas that's the last episode before christmas of course this one's going to be a good one i feel i think this one will be an interesting flick i've been meaning to watch it for a while um what do we do in the week after that though
1: uh just a bunch of holiday specials we'll uh we'll, f- we'll figure some
0: out. Figure something out okay sounds good uh so yeah next week watch black christmas um be there be square I anticipate we're gonna do a lot of comparison with Silent Night, Deadly Night. Um, Probably. Uh, I kind of, I kind of want to rewatch the first one, honestly. Rewatch it. Uh,
1: rewatch
0: it. Yeah. Okay, I'll rewatch it, and then we can talk about it a little on the show. I'll, you know what? I'll watch two. I'll see if there's a supercut of two, with just the original parts. Uh, if not, then I'm just gonna go watch Garbage Day on YouTube. <laughs>
1: All right, man.
0: Have a nice night. All right. We'll uh, see you guys next week. It's been a pleasure. Peace out.